Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stomptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's going on? How were your holidays? Uh, my holidays were great. I, I spent them. I spent a week back in San Francisco with my family uh, for Christmas uh, and came back right before New Year's. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. I started off the new year by immediately getting a cold. So uh, that has been unfortunate, but I definitely wanted to record tonight, even though uh, our listeners are probably going to wonder why I sound super congested and and maybe just going to start sneezing in the middle of this podcast. Yeah. uh, Sneezing uh, is, is, you know, will be excused for, you know, present circumstances. Um, yeah. And, and we have a lot to cover today in large part because we're going to record one more time before the holidays. And then I got sick. I got the, you know, upper respiratory stuff, uh, which like, I don't know, there, there are a lot of things that you can power through when you have a cough. Recording a podcast is not one of them because like, if it's like you can't breathe in without coughing that, yeah, just doesn't really work. Um, so this medium in particular, tough when, when, when we're sick, Jamie Goldberg toughened through it today, however, uh, not so tough that it'll take down Jamie. Uh, Jimmy though wants to know, he, he wants our advice and, and, and this is, uh, the, the figured, yeah, why, why not help him out? Jamie wants to know, should he make his next coffee stout or excuse me, his next stout coffee or not? Uh, Jimmy, uh, a beer maker as his Twitter profile picture suggests, uh, what do you think? Coffee or no in the stout? I, I love coffee stouts. Um, my boyfriend actually really loves coffee stouts. So I think that's his favorite type of stout. Um, I, I think they're pretty good. I, I think he should definitely go with yes. Yeah. Coffee stout. I feel like is definitely one of those where how, what's the best way to describe this? It, it's, it's like, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be more or less on, I don't want to say safe because I, I'm sure Jimmy is a pretty rad beer maker and brewer and all that. Uh, but like, I haven't had any coffee stouts where I've been like, oh, this is bad. I've had lots of other sort of other kinds of stouts, whether whether they're barrel aged, uh, whiskey uh, or, 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 or whatnot that have been fantastic, but also some that have really gone south really super duper hard. Uh, and so I, I also appreciate a coffee stout. Uh, I think it, it is it, it is a, a good, solid sort of stout genre if you are going to add something to the to, to the regular stoutishness. Uh, and so, yeah, Jamie, I say go for it. Uh, unanimous recommendation from the Soccer Made in Portland folks uh, to go for the coffee stout. Uh, okay, uh, here's how far back we have to go in order to catch up. Darlington Nagby. And Benga Arakoyo <laughs> traded to Atlanta United. Uh, the two of them were traded to Atlanta United in exchange for, get ready for a whole bunch of stuff, uh, $650,000 in 2018 general allocation money, $300,000 in 2018 targeted allocation money, $100,000 in 2019 general allocation money, and an international roster spot, and up to $600,000 in... I parenthetically add very difficult to achieve incentive-based TAM. Jamie Goldberg, this was sort of old news, so we're not going to go through and and, and rehash all of that in depth, but let's tackle it this way. Uh, You put yourself in in the shoes of Gavin Wilkinson. Uh, Do you do this deal if Atlanta calls and proposes it to you? What do you do? Yeah, I I think this is a good deal for the Timbers. As I think Gavin said at the time, it, it 
it will we'll see how good of a deal is depending on what the timbers do with the resources they're getting out of this but particularly 650,000 in general allocation money that can be used uh that isn't earmarked like tam it is a, is a good deal and they're going to be able to get um have a lot of flexibility to sign some players tam level players uh players that cost real money this offseason because of this deal uh, as well as the influx of tam coming into mls I think with Nagby, we saw last year the Timbers didn't shy away from shopping around a little bit when Celtic came. I think the Timbers have seen what Nagby can do, and there's been hopes that he's going to develop into the player that he just isn't. He's been effective for the Timbers. He's been a really good player, but at the same time, I, I think they see what they got out of Nagby. They, they think they've got the most they can get out of him, and I think they're taking a gamble, but with the resources, a, a worthwhile gamble by sending him to Atlanta and, and seeing if they can replace him uh, with a player that can be just as effective uh, on the wing and maybe even use the resources to sign more than one player. Yeah. So, you, you know, when you look at sort of the the overall guaranteed uh, salary cap implications of this trade, the Timbers are going to have somewhere in the ballpark of about $1.8 million dollars of additional salary cap space to work with because of this trade. Uh, that is, you, you referenced the, the Celtic deal uh, from uh, that did not come together but, but was reported from a year ago. That is significantly more uh, than, than what the Timbers would have had had they gone through with that Celtic deal, which would have been a $3 million transfer, but only would have netted the Timbers about $650,000 in general allocation money as a result. Uh, so, you know, I mean, j- just from the, that's sort of the, the, just the facts version. I, I think this is a difficult trade. Uh, I, I think it's definitely one that could come back and, and, and bite the timbers, but yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at that, that, that whole package, when you look at the amount that the timbers can now go out and spend this, this off season, especially when you consider the extra $2.8 million TAM infusion from the league, uh, you add in all of these resources on top of that. Uh, the Timbers now have a lot of resources to go out and use and to bolster the roster. Uh, and and that is of significant value. They got a lot in return for Nagby. Uh, and remember, this is a guy that, that, you know, I mean, that from the goal scoring and even assisting uh, kinds of measures really was not chipping in uh, at a sort of elite level by any means over the course of the last several years, basically since 2013. There are, of course... Many other things, as we've discussed many, many, many times on the show, many other things that Nagby does that he does do uh, at an elite level, especially when he's working in transition, especially when he's helping you retain possession. Uh, He is one of the best, if not the best player in the league in that respect. The reason why I think it makes sense for the Timbers, though, is they've got other guys that, even if they're not at Nagby's level, that do those things pretty well. Sebastian Blanco is a good player in transition. He's a good guy for keeping possession. He can definitely string passes together. Diego Char, David Guzman, David Guzman, both are guys that, that, that can help out in transition, that can string passes together. Diego Valeri, to be sure, is another player that, 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 that can help you keep the ball uh, and help you do something with it when you have it. Even Fernando Adi, when you look at a guy that's going to provide the kind of hold-up play that he's going to provide, that's going to help out in that phase of the game too. And so, yes, Nagby is an elite player in, in, in that sense. But I think even when you look at the Timbers roster as currently constituted, they've got some guys that can, that can you know, pick up uh, some of the slack in, in, in that phase of the game. Uh, and w- when you then look at somebody like Nagby, who has immense value because of that, I, I think that makes it 
a little bit more attractive to see if you, you can do that. You know, the other thing that nobody's really discussed about this that I guess I've been thinking about more recently, and I, I don't know why, uh, is Darlington and Nagby now is 27 years old, if my memory is serving me correctly. And and so he's getting sort of toward the the you know last two or three or four of his, uh, two or three or four of his sort of peak years, and Nagby has been a guy you know there whenever you look trying to project out how a guy is gonna do as he approaches and crosses over thirty, there are always a number of things that you consider. How much is is his game reliant on sort of like pace and power and and, and those kinds of things. The kinds of things that tend to wane uh, as you get into your late 20s and especially as you get into your 30s. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at somebody like Dairon Espria or Alvis Powell uh, or Darren Maddox and you're like, those guys probably not going to do great when they get to, you know, 30, 31, 32. Uh, and, and that's probably going to hurt them because they're going to lose that step that they rely on a lot in their game. Nagby's, to me, a little bit of a different story. He does certainly rely on pace to some extent. Uh, and, and, and especially his ability to separate with the ball. And you do wonder how that's going to go as he gets into his thirties, but uh, mostly for Nagby, the thing that I think about as I think of him entering later in his career is the degree to which he's going to be able to take the ridiculous beating that, that he takes and still bounce back. Perhaps as much as his ability in possession and transition the most remarkable thing about Nagby is the fact that he has been able to take as much of a beating as anybody in MLS over the course of the last several years and not have significant injury layoffs because of it. Be able to get back up from all of those tackles, from all from all of the times he's been brought down cynically because he's beaten a guy, to be able to the, the ability to get back up and keep playing through what has been a huge number of knocks and niggles that he's had over the course of the year. No, over the course of the years. It's been tremendous. But how is that going to be when Darlington gets to 28, 29, 30, 31? Are those going to start to add up? And, and, and so, you know, it's easy to sort of look at the risk on the Timbers side and say, oh, what if Nagby goes to Atlanta and does great? Maybe that, that return ends up looking bad. But there's risk here on, on Atlanta's side. They're buying from Nagby some so, some more sort of risk-packed years than the Timbers enjoyed, uh, and they're buying them for a pretty significant price. And so uh, I think all, you know, the, that that's just sort of one aspect of it that, that I think has not been discussed that I think is fair to do so. Uh, but as a whole, I, I think I'm with you. I would do this deal even if, you know, I, I acknowledge it's, it's a tough deal to do. Okay, next. The Timbers, uh, if you haven't heard, hired Giovanni Savarese to be their next coach. Uh, he coached for five seasons with the New York Cosmos and NASL. He won three NASL titles during that period, was also runners-up in 2017. Uh, we're going to get more into this next week because his introductory press conference is going to be next Monday at 1030. So we're hoping to have another podcast next week or at least sometime reasonably soon thereafter and get into uh, greater depth uh, uh, about Savarese after we're able to, you know, talk to the guy. Uh, but let's just do this. What are your sort of initial thoughts on the hire when Caleb Porter uh, left the Timbers in, in the middle of November? Uh, is this sort of the, the, the kind of hire that you expected uh, coming out of that? Are, are you overwhelmed by it, underwhelmed by it? What are your feelings? I think he was definitely a guy that was in everyone's immediate uh, list of potential uh, potential coaching options once Caleb left. I think uh, 
there's a lot of discussion about them maybe bringing in a coach that had more MLS experience as an actual coaching experience at the MLS level, uh, maybe trying to poach a coach from another team. I, I think the Timbers have taken a little bit more of a gamble uh, by going for a guy that hasn't coached at MLS yet. I, I think from everything we've heard, he he comes highly, uh, highly touted. Uh, there's just, I haven't heard a bad word about him yet uh which uh probably means he's coming here with more higher expectations than uh maybe he deserves uh setting the bar pretty high already um but the the people that have worked with him at the cosmos that have covered him at the cosmos and, and seen him develop in a coach there have all positive things to say he, he seems to be a good man manager he seems to be a flexible tactical coach with uh, a basis and a philosophy that that's going to fit into what the timbers want in their system it, it he speaks multiple languages and can connect with the locker room because of that in a way that maybe uh, other coaches that only speak English can't. Um, and he has both playing experience at the MLS level, playing experience abroad, connections, connections and uh, networks all around the world. It, it definitely sounds like a guy that could have a lot of success at the MLS level, a, a guy that other teams have gone after in the past but haven't been able to uh, bring to the MLS level or have passed on for, for various reasons. So I think overall, it sounds like a good hire for the Timbers. It, it, this, he seems to fit the profile of what they wanted and, and the profile of a coach that they should be bringing in. But ultimately it is a little bit more of a gamble than if they had gone out and tried to bring in, tried to coach poach an MLS coach from another team and tried to bring in a coach. They know what they're going to get at the MLS level. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of when the Timbers, brought in Caleb Porter uh, late in the summer of 2012. Uh, Savarese is uh, is probably the coach that is that for the last couple of years, at least, has been most often mentioned uh, around MLS openings. He, he was mentioned in Minnesota. He had uh, he was mentioned in Houston uh, last year before they hired Wilmer, Wilmer Cabrera. They mentioned in Minnesota before they hired Adrian Heath. Mentioned uh, this year with respect to New England Revolution before they hired Brad Friedel. And so he was kind of the guy that everybody was mentioning, just like Porter was, if you remember. Uh, back in 2012 and, and, and before, Porter was sort of the, the coach that every time there was an MLS job that came up, everybody was like, is this going to be the one that Caleb Porter gets? Uh, and and finally it was uh, when, when, when the Timbers hired him. Uh, and, and I think this is kind of a similar situation with Savarese uh, coming to the Timbers uh, the, this time around. I, you know, you mentioned it and and this was the, the biggest thing for me because, you know, I mean, hey, look, I, I've certainly watched his Cosmos teams a, a handful of times, but not more than a handful of times. Uh, I, you know, so to say that I have a lot of, uh, you know, personal, uh, I guess, experience or, 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 or personal takes on, on, on his Cosmos teams and the coaching job that he did there beyond kind of just the obvious track record, uh, would not necessarily be accurate because I just don't, uh, but look, I mean, there are a lot of people that have watched the Cosmos very closely. There are a lot of people that have worked with him, worked for him, uh, played for him and, and all that. And and I was struck by exactly what you were. It was just like universal, almost like gross praise. Um, and I, that's a good sign, right? I mean, that's a good sign, not only for 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 the person you're bringing uh, to the Timbers, but but the coach and and all of that. So uh, so yeah, I mean, I I would say I when I first heard this, I was kind of like, okay, that was certainly you know sort of what you said at the start. One of the candidates we were all thinking of and, 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 and one of the possibilities as I sort of started reading the reaction a little bit more 
uh, and, and did a little bit more research, I would say I got a little bit more enthusiastic and a little bit more optimistic about, about Geo. Uh, we do have a question from Patrick who wants to know what are the chances we can get Geo on this here podcast right in this space uh, sometime this offseason, like Porter did the last few seasons. Uh, and I will answer this by saying we're working on it. Uh, I There's nothing I can promise yet. He has obviously uh, over the course of the next month or so a lot of demands on him. He's going to be going out to the combine. He's going to be going to the draft. He's got to get uh, his team ready to go to Tucson. But we are trying at some point this offseason, whether it's sooner or later in the offseason, to get him on the podcast. And I certainly hope, I think I speak for Jamie, uh, when I say we certainly hope the, that we can do that and, and we can have him on uh, to get to know him a little bit better uh, sometime soon. Okay, next. Timbers signed Julio Cascante. This is actually like recent news. Uh, in between the those things were like all of the holidays and stuff, which popped up some rumors and, and the like, which we'll touch on a little bit later. But uh, this week on Tuesday, we got uh, the, the the news that the Timbers had signed Julio, Julio Cascante, uh, a 24-year-old center back from uh, everybody's favorite uh, sort of transferor, uh, Saprisa, uh, CD Saprisa down in Costa Rica. Uh, he's coming to Portland on targeted allocation money. They use targeted allocation money to acquire him largely as a result of his transfer fee. Uh, it, it sounds like a, that was the driver of the TAM, not necessarily his salary, but that raises the question with respect to Cascante. Why so expensive? Why do you think Cascante was a lot more than say the Roy Miller that the Timbers brought in last year from Saprisa or even David Guzman, uh, a little bit younger than Miller, uh, than, than he was, who the Timbers did not have to use Tam or anything like that on. Jamie, what do you think? Um, I, I think when you look at him, he is a pretty experienced professional. This, even though he's younger, it doesn't he's not a new guy to the professional level. He's had success with Saprisa. Uh, he's had success both defensively and, and scoring goals. I, I think that he is the player that's coming in that, that the Timbers are expecting to be if not a starter, uh, I think there are questions there because the Timbers appear to be bringing back Ridgewell and Mabiala as well. But I think he's going to compete with those two uh, for a starting role. If he doesn't get that starting role immediately, I certainly think the Timbers are going to expect him to be in the mix. And at ultimately, if he can beat out the position out of, from Ridgewell, this is going to be their center back uh, moving forward, I, I think. So, I think his age kind of skews it a little bit, but he has a lot of experience and success at Saprisa um, and in the in Costa Rica um, previously. Yeah, he sort of had his cup of coffee with the Costa Rican national team, and a lot of people think uh, that he is going to get a, I guess maybe like a mug of coffee or something larger than a cup of coffee uh, after the after Russia. Uh, and after the World Cup, when 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 they start to to switch over their team just a little bit, uh, so he is certainly a a well regarded player in Costa Rica. You know, I think there are a few things that that sort of lead to the the heightened transfer fee in this case. First of all, uh, he was under contract at Saprissa for multiple years. One of the reasons that that Guzman was such a good bargain for the Timbers coming from Saprissa is that he only had six months left on his contract. So Saprissa was basically at the point where they needed to part with him then or get nothing for him at all uh, if they had left or if they had let him leave uh, in the summer. And so the Timbers were, were able to, to, to get him early about six months early on uh, a small transfer free. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that is a, a huge driver uh, of how significant a transfer fee is going to be. If a guy is about to be out of contract, 
that transfer fee is usually significantly lower because the selling team just has uh, has a lot less leverage in, in negotiating those sorts of transfer fees. Cascante, on the other hand, was locked into Saprissa for multiple years. He had only been there uh, for about a year and a half. I think he came uh, in the summer of 2016, if I'm rem- remembering correctly, and sort of took over the full-time starting center back role uh, in the spring of 2017. Uh, and, and so that 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 was certainly a big driver of why the the uh, transfer fee was high. And, and then the other thing is, look, I mean, this is a guy that the Timbers and and that any buying club would have been bringing would are bringing in or would, or would have been bringing in for the purpose of being a, a central component of the back line for many many years. This is not a, a, a signing that the Timbers are just making for you know just 2018 or 2019 like they may have been with Roy Miller and just looking for some veteran depth. This is a guy the Timbers are, are clearly going to want to have for multiple years. Uh, and if they part ways with him, the Timbers are certainly hoping uh, that that's because he came here, did very, very well, and they, they sell him for a considerable profit. Uh, so that is why this is a, a pretty different sort of level and different kind of signing than, than what we saw from Saprissa last year. That explains why the Timbers are using targeted allocation uh, money at this time around. Uh, Jared, we've got a couple sort of related questions, and so I'm going to lump them all into one and then throw them to you, Jamie. Jarrett wants to know, what do you think the center back pairing next year is going to be? Uh, and then I neglected to write down who this was from, which is like bad podcast hosting work. But has Ridgewell, Liam Ridgewell, played his last game as a timber? Well, I sort of uh, jumped the gun on this without without looking ahead on our mental notes. You did. But... You, you, you did. So, <laughs> you know, I, I guess both of us, bad co-host and host work. <laughs> but... But to to talk a little bit more about it, I think that likely Ridgewell and Mabial are going to be coming in to preseason as the starters, but I think it's Cassante's position to win. I, I think the Timbers would like to see him, in fact, win that, prove that he deserves to be on the field. And ultimately, if he does, I think they will move towards a, a center back pairing with Mabiala and him and maybe even look to get rid of Ridgewell in the summer before his contract is completely up. I think given what Ridgewell has done for this club when he's healthy, there's no reason for the Timbers to automatically say, oh, he's going to be on the bench heading into the season. It makes a lot of sense for him and Mabiala to be the starting center back pair. But in the long term, as you said, it's more likely to be Cassante and and Mabiala and down the road, maybe Cassante and somebody else. I, as I've touched on, I don't think Ridgewell has played his last game. I expect him to be coming back and I expect him to be coming back as uh, a starter if he can stay healthy. Uh, but I, I do think that at this point, Ridgewell is not in the Timbers' long-term plans. It's more that he's under contract and has done well when he's healthy and they have more resources with the roster to still make moves while keeping Ridgewell on the roster. Yeah. So I, I just want to point on, you know, sort of stick on the last thing that you mentioned, uh, which is that Ridgewell, it does not appear is in the, the Timbers plans beyond 2018. So he is sort of in the political sense, a lame duck. Uh, he can't be reelected. Uh, and, and, and so when you think about sort of the incentives for the Timbers, if Cascante comes in and does well, uh, if he comes in, shows well, shows that he's at or near the level of a Liam Ridgewell, there's every reason for, for Gio uh, to look to Cascante and, and, and try to get him more playing time vis-a-vis somebody like Ridgewell. Uh, so I, I would say I agree. If I were a betting man, I would say uh, that, that, that it's going to be Ridgewell and Mabiala left, right, just like we saw uh, at the end of last season to start this season. I mean, there's like the perpetual query of how healthy is Ridgewell going to be? Obvi. Uh, and, and, and that, of course, will will affect how much Cascante plays. But 
uh, look, I mean, I, I'm not going to discount by any means the possibility uh, that at some point in the season, Cascante could win the, the the spot, not on 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 as a result of any injury, but by his own merits. Uh, and if he comes in and does that, I think the Timbers will be very, very excited. Uh, and I think they'll be very pleased uh, to promote him over somebody like Ridwell, even notwithstanding uh, Ridwell's pretty quality service when he's been on the field uh, for the Timbers. Just so everybody notes, so we don't get any angry comments, I placed emphasis on the words when he's been on the field. Um, okay, uh, we've got some Timbers questions. Uh, Dan, is Sebastian Blanco headed back to Argentina? Uh, this is one that that has been sort of smoldering, I think is fair to say. May, maybe s- slightly sparking. Maybe it's just like weird lights. Uh, distracting us like cats and 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 laser pointers. Uh, coming out of Argentina over the course of the last couple of weeks, there have been some reports, rumors, kinds of things that perhaps Independiente is interested in bringing Blanco back down to Argentina this offseason. I, I, I will note that even these reports have been pretty skeptical about whether this can happen. It's been reported and it's certainly consistent with our understanding that Blanco is is tied to the Timbers for the next couple of years. Uh, that the Timbers have him under club control for the next couple of years. So there's nothing sort of compelling the Timbers to make any any, any kind of move. Uh, even these reports seem to be saying it's hard to see how this happens. Nonetheless, uh, our good friend Matt Doyle uh, poured some gasoline on on whatever this is. Uh, when when he noted it in his piece on MLSsoccer.com to get it today, frankly, th- this smells like a non-starter to me. I, I think the odds are extremely low. Uh, that the Timbers uh, will be moving Blanco down to Argentina. I have not heard anything to suggest uh, that it is likely. Uh, and so I, I think this is, this is to mix my metaphors in probably confusing ways, uh, nothing but smoke uh, coming from sort of Argentine soccer Twitter with no fire attached to it. Jamie, do you agree? Yeah, I, I I don't see this happening, and I especially think after moving Nagby, it would it would be even more unlikely that they would then go move their other winger, who who can provide some of the same things that Nagby could provide in transition and, and in terms of possession, and then have to start completely from scratch with with two key attacking players. So I I, I don't see this happening. I don't think the reports have made it look all that likely that it was going to happen. I just don't think the Timbers have much incentive to move Blanco. Uh, given what he did last year, given the idea, the the thought that he will be even better in his second year in MLS and, and the fact that he's under contract with them for multiple years. I agree entirely with those two things. I'm going to add something else. And this is, sort of just goes to a question that we get probably four or five times throughout the course of the year, which is how are the Timbers planning to sort of uh, sort of account for Diego, Diego Valeri's now aging curve? And I think the short term answer to that is Sebastian Blanco. Uh, look, I mean, as Valeri ages, if he starts to see sort of a, a diminishing, uh, in his heretofore ridiculously prolific production for the Timbers, uh, if that starts, starts to fade, I think the, the reason the Timbers went out and spent so much on Blanco is to have a guy on the roster that's there, that's ready to do some of that playmaking, some of that goal scoring, uh, and, and is ready to pick up the slack in the attack. So in many ways, I don't think the Timbers have have really sort of seen the full value uh, of their acquisition of Blanco come to fruition yet. Uh, and I don't see why the Timbers would have any incentive, unless independent yet they just made an utterly preposterous offer, which I don't think they're going to do. Uh, unless there was just something 
completely ridiculous where the Timbers would return, would return a massive profit uh, and would and would be able to immediately turn that around into something even bigger and better. Uh, I, I just don't see why they would sort of take that and disrupt that kind of short-term, not succession plan, but kind of sort of complementary piece to, to Valeri away uh, at, at just at the point that they were really start, sort of starting to count on it. I, I certainly expect Valeri to be in a Timbers uniform for, for multiple years to come, but Look, I mean, if there's a guy on the roster that's ready to sort of to sort of take a little bit of the load from him, it's Blanco, and I just don't see him going away absent a just like unconsciously compelling reason to do so. Brad, what's worse, Liam Ridgewell's hair or his vapid commentary on soccer morning? Jamie, I have I have a hotter take on this than you, so let's go let's go colder uh, for to start, and you go first. Yeah, I, I don't think his commentary was quite as bad as you made it out to be. He obviously uh, was kind of dismissive of Gio and saying that he hadn't reached out to him, which I, I think is not a smart thing for the captain of the Timbers to be saying um, in kind of an offhanded, I'm trying to be funny way uh, on a talk show. Um, but I I did not, I, I did think he was just trying to be, even though I, I think he, should have been more self-aware. I think he was just trying to be funny on a soccer show. I don't think it was quite as bad as I, I think you will get into. Um, and his hair is just really, really terrible. Just so they were both bad, but I'm going to go with the hair because it is, it is just awful. I, I agree. It's the hair, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't sort of excuse is just like kind of disappointingly, Vapid is a good word. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, Brad's word on that uh, performance uh, on on the show itself. The, the hair he basically has a haircut that makes it look like he's wearing a really obviously bad toupee, uh, which is an interesting decision uh, for somebody who has hair. But nonetheless, I, I I thought his commentary and 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 sort of his participation on the show was just I, I mean it, it it's not what you want from your captain. I, I mean yes they are sort of just shooting the veritable whatever uh and 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 it, and it's sort of an irreverent kind of thing and and they're having a good time but in that in the midst of that having that good time he seemed barely familiar <laughs> with uh w- w- with the MLS playoff system uh he he got a number of things just wrong like he said the Timbers were 6th uh, in, in the Western Conference, they were talking about how six teams qualify for the playoffs from each conference. He said in 2015, when the Timbers won, they were sixth in the conference. That's like not really even close to correct. They were third. Uh, and, and that's why they got that home playoff game to start the playoffs with the double post and all that and yada, yada, yada. Uh, you would think he would be sort of more familiar with that. Uh, he also seemed to suggest, and he said this before, and I like... I've always sort of excused it because I've always just been like, he can't possibly think this because it's such it, it, it's such a ridiculous thought. But he he sort of suggested the oh, it doesn't really matter if you're first or sixth kind of thing if you like you you get in nonetheless uh, if that's true. Uh, you know, you get into the playoffs uh, if that's true. Which you know, I mean, that, that is true. You get into the playoffs regardless of whether you're first through sixth. But to say there's some sort of equivalency between being first in the conference uh, and the playoff run you have in front of you and sixth in the conference is. Just a terrible opinion, <laughs> like like to the point where that's just objectively wrong. Uh, and so he didn't seem to be all that familiar with or or, or have a meaningful understanding of how uh, the playoff system worked and 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 the ways that it really worked. Uh, and that sort of just contributed to the the, the host just laughing at MLS for having this ridiculous playoff system. And then yeah, I I thought he was 
kind of unfair, frankly, to Gio and in the implication in his comment that uh, that, that Gio hadn't hadn't reached out to him yet. Uh, and but which, you know, by itself would, would be one thing. But then he was like, oh, he's been there for a while, which is also, again, just wrong. Gio was hired literally the week before Christmas. Uh, and so if you're looking for reasons why Savarese hasn't yet reached out to the players, he was probably thinking, hey, I'm going on vacation, which we know because of reports out of Peru, that's a completely different story. But hey, I'm going on vacation. Probably my players on, are on vacation. I don't want to re- interrupt them and interrupt their holidays with uh, with a call from the boss. I'll check in when I got plenty of time to do so after the holiday. That, that would be a totally reasonable, good new coach thing to do. New coach, a good new coach decision to make. And yet Bridgewell kind of made him look like he was negligent because he'd been there for a while and hadn't even reached out to his captain. I don't know. I mean, I I, I thought. All of it showed a pretty disappointing level of engagement in, in in not only the league, but the club itself over the course of this offseason that you would certainly want to see a great deal more from in your captain. Uh, and and that's, you know, I mean, look, there are, I, I've defended Ridgewell over and over and over and over and over again on the basis of, you know, him hanging out at the lake after after training or, uh, or drinking a beer or going golfing. And, and, and I, I don't think those are compelling reasons to say that somebody is not sufficiently engaged in the club. But when I watched that little, you know, what was it? Three or four or five minute uh, thing that didn't seem like a guy that was terribly engaged in, in, in the club that was terribly engaged in the league. Uh, and when your captain goes and, you know, on a TV show and, and is in, in that respect, kind of re- representing the club, I, I think that's not what you want to see. Um, yeah. Mike wants to know why the purge of Akron players. Jamie, wh- wh- what's going on? Bring out your Akrons. <laughs> Bring out your Akrons. I'm not Akron yet. Uh, that was a that was a really bad, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Holy Grail. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Monty Python reference. <laughs> um, I do not think it's a purge of the Akron uh, players uh, by on purpose, at least. I, I think the fact that we've seen three Akron players leave is just kind of by chance that they've all been Akron players. And I think you look at Ben Zemanski with his injuries. He just never was the same player. Uh, it did not make sense once he was out of contract for the Timbers to resign him. Uh, that's just unfortunate. The injuries kind of derailed his career and he was not a player. The Timbers were going to be bringing back. I think Darren Maddox, the amount that his contract was going to balloon this season and the amount of a salary cap hit that he was going to have for the Timbers just didn't make it viable for the Timbers to bring him back. They were trying to renegotiate a new salary, but uh, instead they were able to move him. He was able to get the salary that he wanted, and I think that worked out for both sides ultimately. I just don't think it made sense for the Timbers to keep him at that same level. And then with Nagby, as we talked about earlier, it was a deal that was hard to turn down. And given how far Nagby has come with the club, it's a difficult decision, a player that's been so integral to this club since its start. But as far as he's come, I think Timber saw that they got the most out of him that they could and felt that the resources that they were getting from this trade from Atlanta were going to be enough to... um, make some real significant moves and ultimately make them a better team. Uh, and of course, Zarek is, is still on the club. So there hasn't been a complete purge of Akron players. Yes. Uh, Zarek Valentin, the, the, the last remaining zip. Um, but I, I entirely agree. I, I think you can look at each of the three sort of departures 
and see very clear non Akron related reasons for them. Uh, and, and, and that I, I'm not convinced that this is some sort of like, you know, the, that Gavin Wilkinson is going, uh, Michael Corleone on, on everybody the, that, that went to Akron, uh, at, at the club. Um, you know, the, the one thing that, 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 Nagby did say when he got to Atlanta was that Caleb's de- departure from the club sort of affected his desire to stay to which I largely say, duh. I mean, I, I don't think it's been any secret. In fact, I think it's been like whatever the opposite of a secret is uh, that Darlington Nagby and Caleb Porter had kind of a special relationship. I, I think Nagby is at times called him basically like a father figure. Uh, certainly Porter ha- has in, in many, many instances, uh, and, you know, sort of said that, that he feels he has a special connection with Darlington, has coached him for a long time, knows him about as well as anybody uh, in the soccering world, at least. And, and so, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that's that's surprising at all. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think the the purge of Akron is is a little bit of an oversold narrative, even if it is, you know, I mean, it's always fun to talk about things that way. Uh, certainly more so than being like, well, you see, Ben Zemanski did not look like he's an MLS player. Uh, so, you know, uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll let you have your purge of Akron's. I'm, I'm just not buying into the fact uh, the, that this is really all that Akron related. Uh, Michael wants to know, other than Cascante, a reported winger, uh, I'm going to just parenthetically say Andy Polo, uh, and a rumored defensive midfield very rumored was it was Christian Paredes who, who's at Club America right now, a young defensive midfielder. We'll see if uh, that is very, very lightly rumored, but, uh, and a rumored defensive midfield signing. Anyway, we do know that the Timbers are pursuing a defensive mid- midfield signing. Uh, do you think the Timbers will be making any other moves? And if so, at which positions do you think they'll be looking? Yeah, I expect them to make a few more moves. And I think as we talked about with both the Nagby deal and the influx of Tam, they have, a lot of resources to make more moves than just uh, these three. I I think Gavin Wilkinson spoke to it. He said they're looking at a back and forward and he implied that they would be potentially bringing him another winger uh, on top of what we're assuming is going to be Polo, but another attacking player uh, on top of that when when he, uh, I believe, spoke with Talk Timbers. I think those are both options. Uh, Those are options that have been mentioned. I, I fully expect them to bring in uh, some sort of backup forward or attacking player uh, in some means although I, I hope that they're going to find a way to not necessarily block a Bobacy if he does take the next step in his uh sophomore season um but I, I think we could see at least one more move on the attacking side they haven't talked about other positions and i don't necessarily expect it i, I thought with the influx of tam they might be looking more at a goalkeeper um because of the added resources to be able to do that and maybe bring in a guy that is far better than, than Gleason and Anella. I haven't heard anything from the club to indicate that they are in fact doing that, but that could change. Obviously Gio's just coming in and maybe they're maybe some of their uh, priorities have, have shifted or, or at least are they looking at other options as well that haven't been mentioned. Um, but for now, I think we can expect more signings for sure. And I would expect at least one, if not two more attacking players. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. You know, probably looking somebody up front, uh, potentially looking somebody else on the wing. Uh, maybe even aside from uh, aside from uh, Cascante, who's reported to be on TAM, uh, Polo, who based on reports of the transfer fee would definitely be TAM. 
Uh, his, his rumored transfer fee right now is in the ballpark of a million dollars, so he would be a TM guy. Uh, Merritt Paulson on Twitter, and what I'm sure is a now-deleted tweet uh, last week, suggested that there might even be one more uh, coming in sort of at that targeted allocation money level. Uh, you know, the other thing that, that, that I want to point out sort of in relation to the last bit uh, is it wouldn't surprise me at all. In fact, I would expect in many ways uh, the Timbers to hold back at, at least a chunk of their allocation money resources for the summer transfer window. Uh, in many respects, the, the the pickings in the summer transfer window are a little bit better uh, than in the winter, just based on what other where other leagues are sort of in their competitive cycles and the like. Uh, and so I think it would be smart of the Timbers uh, to hold back some resources and, and to keep a little bit of money in the bank uh, to do some shopping there. I mean, look, even if the Timbers in the course of the first half of the season don't necessarily identify, a, you know, a big need, you know, say Jake Gleason or, or Jeff Adonella comes in and is having a great year and the Timbers don't feel like they need to go out and get a goalkeeper, at very least they can spend the next six months or so sort of scouting around younger players and, and see if they can find somebody in the, in the 19, 20-year-old range or so uh, that they can go pluck with some targeted allocation money as sort of a, a high-end prospect uh, at that and bring them into the club uh, if they don't have any other needs. But, but certainly that is another opportunity to address needs that may arise uh, over the course of the first half. But uh, yeah, we'll see how exactly that plays out. There are, of course, also going to be sort of a handful of depth signings that we just see over the course, develop over the course of camp. Uh, wouldn't shock me. In fact, I think we expect to see Bill Tuiloma back with the team. He's not formally on the roster, but we expect it. Uh, Foster Langsdorf, we expect the Timbers to sign to a homegrown contract. Wouldn't be shocked at all to see somebody like Renzo Zambrano, maybe from T2, uh, get, a, get at least a look in camp, and, and there will almost certainly be a couple other guys that sort of float into camp and that have a chance to make a roster as well. So I wouldn't be shocked to see some of that, maybe another depth center back or, or, or something of the like. Uh, but, you know, as far as the, the bigger, splashier moves, uh, I think those are likely to be, uh, as you noted, the attackers that, that we've heard they are targeting uh, to date. Um, CI wants to know, what is the biggest MLS trade of the last 12 months? Darlington Nagby, Sasha Kleschen, Dax McCarty, Benny Failhaber, who just today went to LAFC for $400,000 of allocation money, Dom Dwyer, who went for like a billion dollars in allocation money uh, to Orlando and just re-signed a multi-year contract today, uh, Kevin Molino uh, to Minnesota United or something else. Jamie? There's actually been some pretty big trades uh, within MLS in the last That's year. That's the TAM era, um, man. That is totally yeah, the, the result of, of everybody being flush with this cash. Now there's a lot more intra-MLS movement. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, but just putting it down on paper and thinking about it, all, all the trades. I, I think that Nagby's trade is up there. Um, I, I think, like we said, it's a good trade. Um, it makes sense for the Timbers at least, but that was a very difficult decision for the Timbers, uh, making it a trade to uh, get rid of one of the original few original um, MLS timbers left on the roster. Um, I think Sasha questions trade is, and that one I think might be the biggest for me. I, I think that was came as a bit of a shock uh, given what he's done uh, in New York. Um, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, I, I think that one's definitely up there. I, I think, yeah, Sasha Kleschen is the one I'd probably go with. I, I think Dwyer, obviously, in terms of the money, w was huge. Um, but I, I think some of these others have eclipsed that one since then. I think it's Dwyer. And the reason I think that is because that is the trade for me that just, like, 
blew the hinges off of the trade market. We saw just before that the Dax McCarty trade where he was traded for, what, I think $400,000 or so of allocation money. Only at the age of 30, uh, playing a, a position that you would certainly expect him to be good for another couple of three years. And that was just – that was a matter of months before that Dwyer trade. Uh, and and now you look at that Dax trade and you're like, 400000 for Dax? Are you kidding me? But the reason we think that now is because the Dwyer, just what was it, 1.5 or 1.6 million uh, in, in allocation money split between a couple of years going to Kansas City from Orlando, which by the way, I think Dwyer is a good player. I think Dwyer is, a, is certainly a, one of the, you know, in the top 10, certainly uh, strikers in MLS. SKC absolutely skinned uh, Orlando in that trade. That That is a, a still shocking amount of money. But in many respects, you know, I mean, do you see the, the Timbers get a million plus for Darlington Nagby uh, if that Dwyer trade doesn't happen? I don't know. To me, that was really the one that just blew up the market uh, and, and, and has really sort of ratcheted up the amount of allocation money MLS teams are now spending on other MLS players uh, in these trades. I think it's kind of a cool development. As I noted, I think it, ma- it makes for – uh, a lot of fun sort of sort of, sort of gossip and, and, and discussion and the like. Uh, and so I'm glad it's happened, uh, but I'm going to go with the Dwyer trade for exactly that reason. Okay, uh, let's hit a couple Thorns questions and a couple Thorns topics before we get out. Kind of a, a faster episode this week, depending on, you know, how much time we spend here. Uh, RJ wants to know, what does Tobin Heath's injury mean for the Thorns? Is this the same ankle injury that happened in the NWSL Championship in October? As a, as a matter of background, I'll tell you, uh, we got the January camp uh, call-ups for the U.S. Women's National Team today. They included five Thorns, uh, A.D. French, Megan Klingenberg, uh, Lindsay Horan, Allie Long, and who am I forgetting? Oh, Emily Sonnet. Did I, yeah. Yes, and Emily Sonnet. That's who I was forgetting. Uh, included five thorns, but n- conspicuously absent from that group uh, was Tobin Heath, and it sounds like it is because she still has that ankle injury. Uh, Jamie, what do we know about it, and how much of a concern do you think this is for the thorns? Yeah, as far as I know, it is the same ankle injury. I, I think that it's definitely concerning to see. It-, it is possible that the national team, you know, they know what they're getting with Tobin Heath. They want to be extra precautious given last year's uh, issues. They, they feel they're better served bringing in other players anyways. Uh, and so they're just giving her a rest here and making sure that's fully healed before they risk her back on the field. That's the optimistic hope of this, but we, we don't know. And when you look at the back injury last year and how that lingered on and was misdiagnosed and uh, there was issues with her treatment and getting on a plan that actually worked, it, it is worrisome. You don't want to see Tobin Heath off the field for another year, uh, especially gearing up uh, to a world cup. And so I am hoping it's precautionary, um, given how long it's been for an ankle injury. Um, but the fact that it's still bothering her in any sense at this point, assuming it's the same injury, which is that that's as far as we know, uh, it is concerning. Um, I do want to, I'll, I'll let you speak, but I, I do think we should circle back about some of the other call-ups though, in that, in that 26 player roster with the, some of the other thorns coming in. Yeah. Let's go ahead and do that and, and, and do that now, because frankly, I was going to say basically what you said uh, about the ankle injury. I mean, given, and, and given her history with ankle injuries itself, I think all of that is, yeah. I mean, you know, not panic button concerning, but certainly not comfortable. Uh, and, and now this is going to be the biggest question about 
Tobin in particular, the, probably the, the, the Thorns most talented player uh, heading into the season. So, yeah, it, it's a pretty darn big deal. Uh, and I and I think if you're a Thorns fan, it's making you awfully nervous. Let's circle back then to the call ups, calls up, however you want to you want to do that grammatically, uh, because I agree with you. There are a number of, of ones that are notable. I think Lindsey Horan, nobody's surprised. Allie Long, there's not a, a, a huge surprise there. But, but, but there was, with respect to Megan Klingenberger, there were a lot of people that did not think she was going to be get called for this camp. Uh, what was your reaction to seeing her in the team? Yeah, I, I think she deserves to be called in the camp. I, I've been surprised that Jill Ellis has been leaving her off the roster. I, I think she got a, it was a little bit unfair to her because in 2016, she spent the majority of the year injured and playing through it and, and therefore, unsurprisingly, had a bit of a down year. But given her performance in 2017, I think she's absolutely deserving of call-ups. Call I, I think there are younger uh, fullbacks that, that Ellis is looking at and, and might overall have more upside than uh, Klingenberg moving forward. Um, but I was surprised how she so quickly, it seemed like, dropped off the national team radar. I, I think after the season she had in the NWSL, she deserves to be back and at least have the chance to, to earn that starting spot um, back or earn probably actually less likely a starting spot, but earn at least a spot back within the team he- heading into the potential of the World Cup. You know, I always thought, especially with last year, that that it was mostly about the fact that, that Jill Ellis was trying out other options at left back. And look, I mean, Jill and, and the rest of the women's national team program know who – uh, know who Kling is, right? Uh, you know, Kling is a relatively known entity. She did have a good season last year, playing in in, in kind of a, a a mix of a couple different roles and playing a good amount of wing back, which is a little bit different role uh, than the fullback. Uh, you know that that she would primarily be asked to be with the national team. But even regardless of that, it makes sense for Ellis to look around because Klingenberg is. Now, if my birthday memory is, is serving me right, twenty nine or thirty. I think this is her age thirty season. So it, she should be looking around. She should be looking to see if there are higher upside options uh, that, that they're going to want to rely on going into this World Cup qualifying and ultimately World Cup uh, in 2019 cycle. That said, I don't think there's been anybody that's necessarily staked a claim to that spot beyond what Kling has done. And so uh, and, and so if I was Jill Ellis, would I then want to be getting Kling back into the system uh, sort of as my, my, my safe option to go to at left back? Uh, going into 2019, if need be, yeah, you betcha. And so I think the the call up makes sense largely in that regard uh, to to make sure Kling is still integrated uh, because I I think there's you know I don't know if I would say it's a good possibility, but I do think there's a possibility that Kling could be you know could could be the starting left back uh, going in, in, into the World Cup. So uh, that, that I guess I would say it maybe surprised, but not shocked me. And I, th- I think the rationale for why Kling would be called back in now is, is certainly there. Uh, let's talk about Emily Sonnet. Uh, she is another uh, player that that sort of got called pretty consistently during the course of a difficult season in 2016, then got called a lot less during a very good season in 2017. This is actually totally a pattern that we're going to see with Thorns uh, <laughs> over the course of at least these three. Uh, what was your uh, level of surprise with that call up for the jam camp? Yeah, I, I was a little bit unsure of where she was going to be. I, I think it's fair that Ellis is calling her back in and at least giving her another shot to prove herself. I, I do think, like you said, it has been a little bit of the Thorns theme it, is that a lot of these players had very good seasons in 2017 and weren't getting the call-ups they were getting previously when they hadn't taken those same strides. I, I think Sonnen is deserving of another call-up. 
uh, absolutely after her 2017 season. And she is a young player. She is a player that should remain at least in the national team mix and, and potentially a player that could break in over time um, because she, at her age, she should still be improving and growing as a player. So I was a little surprised to see it, but but it is a call up that I think is deserved. And especially in a January camp, I think that's a good time to bring her back in the mix and see if she has taken the strides forward that the national team needs. A.D. French is, is the other one that, that was called up. This is actually her second consecutive call up as she was called for the friendlies uh, back in the fall. What do you think uh, about this? She was called up for 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 that camp back in the fall that, that included a couple games but did not see a single minute uh, of playing time. She gets the call again. Where do you think A.D. French is now in sort of the, the, the pecking order at uh, goalkeeper for the national team? Uh, and do you think that is where she should be? I think she's, it looks like based on the call-ups that she might be the fourth goalkeeper uh, on the list. I mean, Campbell was getting call-ups last year when A.D. French wasn't. I think she should be the third. Um, I, I think that they, they absolutely should give her the opportunity to win that position and be a regular call-up uh, within the national team. I, I think after the season she had, I think she is a better option than Jane Campbell. And I think she proved herself in the NWSL and she should have the opportunity to at least win that spot uh, and potentially grow uh, over time. Yeah, and and you look at the ways in which 80 franchises progressed over the course of the last year or so, they are very visible, very discernible. Her distribution is significantly better than, than it was. Her sort of game management is much, much better than it was. And, and when she was getting call-ups back in 2016, when she wasn't even starting for the Thorns, she was basically getting call-ups purely on, on, on the basis of, of, of her resume and her athleticism. Now she's got a, a much, much more rounded, and this is, in, in my view, immense credit to Nadine Onger and the work she has done with ADO over the course of the last year plus. Uh, but uh, she's got sort of tangible, well-rounded skill set for, for a goalkeeper. And frankly, I, I don't think there's much debate about the fact anymore that she was, if not the best, one of the best goalkeepers in NWSL last year. And, and given her age, uh, she certainly still has plenty, plenty uh, of time to go at, at her peak as a goalkeeper. I think it would be crazy not to be giving her a serious look uh, to win a job that, in my view, Nobody, you know, sort of like left back, nobody has really staked a claim to uh, for for the national team uh, now going into qualifying in the World Cup next year. So we'll see how it all pans out. Uh, it, it is not entirely surprising uh, for me to see. In fact, it's not at all surprising for me to see French uh, back in the team for Jan Camp. Uh, the question is whether she's going to get sort of a bona fide look. Uh, and we'll see, but I absolutely think she should. Emma wants to know, do you see any trades coming down the pipe for the Thorns in the next few weeks? And I'll just add, if so, where or what positions and the like? I think we're going to see some Thorns moves coming. I don't know if they'll be in the next few weeks or, or the next month or so, but but I expect there to still be some moves left. I, I am really interested to see, and I think I mentioned this last year, but I am interested to see what's going to happen with Ali Long and Dagny Brynja's daughter because both of those players are players that can start in the NWSL and, and players that likely want to get playing time, especially going um, into the World Cup in, in 2019. They, they want to be getting playing time. So um, I'm going to be interested to see if those two players remain on the thorns and if they choose to want, if they want to go other places where they're going to see more playing time, we could see some really interesting trades coming up. 
the, the I agree with with all of that, and whether they're trades or or international acquisitions, I think we'll probably see a combination of the two. February, March, we'll see how quickly that comes together as, as camp opens a little bit later than say on the timber side. Uh, the other question in in my mind, and this is one that I've been thinking about today, is the extent to which the Thorns need to be making a move essentially to set up or or, or essentially to provide insurance for Tobin Heath now. Uh, if this ankle injury is lingering and is creating concern heading into the season, do you think that becomes a need that they need to look to address through the trade market, Jamie? Yeah, I, I think maybe. Um, I, I think they definitely have to think about that, or if it means they have to look at changing their system, uh, they need to see what this is going to be if Tobin's out for an extended period of time, because I, I don't think it was totally effective last year when Tobin wasn't in there. I, I think Mark was able throughout the course of the year to adjust, um, but it, it did take a little while for them to find a formation and a system that worked without Tobin. So, so they need to be thinking of their backup plan, whether that's bringing a new player or really thinking about changing the system um, from what it was, at least in, the, in parts of last year, uh, to accommodate for the fact that Tobin may or may not be in there. Um, but that's something I'm sure sure the thorns if they think this is going to be anything more than uh a a short-term ankle injury especially given last year that they have to be looking at and that will do it for us today uh thank you all for for tuning in we will uh be back sometime in the next couple weeks because we anticipate there will be uh quite a bit more news starting next week uh certainly with uh with Gio Savarese's uh press conference introductory press conference so uh we will be back sooner uh than 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 we were in our last break barring you know us being hit by the plague once again uh and and, and being struck down uh but thank you all for your questions uh thank you all for tuning in uh as always uh and yeah we will see you again just as soon uh, as as we do. We're somewhat less regular during uh, the the respective off seasons, but we'll see you again soon. Uh, and until then, enjoy all of the breaking news, both on the Timbers and the Thorn side, the MLS and the NWSL side. Uh, yeah, and until we see you again, as always, take care. <laughs>